0: Welcome to another episode of the Tax Chick Podcast. Today, we are going on a tax adjacent topic. Today, we're talking about intellectual property. And I'm bringing on a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, uh, Luann Schlosser, who is the founder of Lenovo Law. And prior to founding Lenovo, Lenovo Law, Luann practiced at a national firm, and she advised a diverse group of clients ranging from startups to some of the world's most recognizable brands and leading technology companies. Luann's experience spans a wide range of industries, including craft beer and spirits, cannabis, sporting goods, fashion, entertainment, cosmetics, footwear, streaming services, the gaming industry, mobile apps, medical devices, farming technology, agricultural services, financial services, entertainment, and more. Luann is a really cool individual, and she is breaking down some of the key topics that you need to know on copyright and trademarks. And this particular episode is really focused on if you're a business owner, what are some things you need to keep in mind about intellectual property? When do you start exploring the topics? What does it mean to have a copyright? What does it mean to have a trademark? These are really important issues. And and as Luann explains, they're really important issues to consider early on in your business. And I'm really excited to to share this conversation with you. Before we jump into the episode, uh, just a reminder that my new website is live, www.thetaxchick.ca. If you log on to that website um, and click on the learning center button, you can get access to all of my blog posts, all of my additional resources. This is all complimentary to the public. Everything is organized by topic, um, very easy to find. You just have to set up a member account. The member account is free. So I do encourage you to go on and check it out. Um, Also, updates on my podcast are also available there. Everything is like a one-stop shop. In addition, um, if you're not following me on Instagram, please check me out. Uh, My handle is at tax.chick. So without further ado, on to the episode. Welcome Luann, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today.
1: Thanks, Amanda. I'm really excited to be here today. So you and I have known
0: each other for a few years, and I've, I've certainly sent some clients over to you for their intellectual property needs. And I realized that I get a lot of questions from my business clients on things like copyrights and trademarks. And And it just seemed like this would be a really great episode to have on the podcast, somebody who actually knows something about this stuff, not me just trying to piece it together, explaining to to sort of our listeners what they need to keep in mind and what they need to watch out for so i'm really i'm really excited for this conversation today
1: as am i amanda so yes i mean especially i noticed after and through the pandemic um, intellectual property rights really became something that people were concerned about we were spending more time online we were spending um, more time sort of using technology to um, conduct business a lot of you know brick and mortar stores had to go online as well to sell their goods to promote their services. And I found that um, the questions with respect to intellectual property, you know, what is it? What should I be worried about? Those became more and more frequent, um, especially during the pandemic with, you know, this increased use of technology and post pandemic, I think we are really moving forward, embracing technology in our practices. We've got a lot of, you know, artificial intelligence, automations. We've got um, things popping up pretty much all the time. So intellectual property is a, a very fast and evolving field, but there are some basics that uh, business owners should be aware of um, when they're opening business, when they're you know conducting business, when they're launching new products, new services. So uh, I'm really excited to be here to talk about um, two, two forms of intellectual property today, the first being copyright, and then the second being trademarks.
0: Perfect. I think that'll be fantastic. I I know every now and then I do get a client that Phones me up and they've received one of those like cease and desist letters and just had one a couple of months ago and there was complete panic because they had used a photo on a website. So I know you're going to talk a bit about that. Um, so let's maybe dive right in and let's let's start with copyright because I feel like that is the one that is maybe a bit more accessible to people. So let's, let's start with the basics because I did take intellectual property law in law school, but that was a long time ago and it was a night class and I, I don't remember a lot of what I learned in that class. So what is copyright starting there?
1: Sure, sure. Not to worry. Um, interestingly enough, I did not take intellectual property, but here I am practicing it fully. So um, at any rate, so copyright um, exists in literary, dramatic, musical, and artistic works. And the rights conferred by copyright are essentially the right to publish, perform, um, reproduce, transmit these, these sort of artistic works um, or these literary works literary works, dramatic works, that sort of thing. Um, so if we're, if we're talking about, um, you know, items that copyright exists in, for example, when someone is creating a website, often they're using photos, you know, visuals to to sort of amplify what their message is on their website in terms of what they're providing. And oftentimes people will hire a website designer or a marketing agency to prepare these websites. Um, And and not everyone has the budget to get a bunch of customized photos done for them, for these websites. So often people will go to, they've got these stock image websites. Uh, One is called, I think Unsplash, there's other ones out there where you can pull images on a license. Um, They can be used on your website. And, you know, people think no problem. Unfortunately, some of these sort of licensing websites, their licenses are not full out licenses. So when you license an image, for example, you're not giving the full rights to someone to use it all the time. Sometimes that's the case. Um, But often these these Photography websites will license photos, but only for personal use, not for commercial use. So, you know, it's totally fine to use the photo maybe for a, a personal project or social media quick post. But the minute there's some sort of commercial element, so they're going to be used to derive profit or to draw customers in, then the license is being essentially overstepped and infringed. So, that can be problematic for companies who are essentially you know, hiring an agency to build out their website using these images. So when you're dealing with any sort of literary piece, dramatic piece, musical piece, artistic piece, such as, such as um, a photograph, it's important to know that you actually have the rights to use that in your business. So even on social media, if you're taking a stock image to promote maybe, you know, an event you're having, do you have rights to that image? Because if you're using that and it's for commercial use, oftentimes these sort of licenses that seem to be you know, free for all licenses, they're not. They have restrictions on commercial use. So, so it's really important that business owners understand that you know, even if something says public domain or even if their um, website creator says, you know, we've prepared this for you, we've used images from um, you know, a certain entity that allows for free licensing, These business owners should should ensure that there is some sort of contract between them and their website creator, that the website creator does, in fact, have the rights to provide those images, the full rights. Um, And oftentimes we we miss that. (laughs) So oftentimes people, you know, jump in, get a website designer to prepare their website or to to deal with their social media. Um, and there's no contract in place where the, the provider of these services is representing and warranting to that client that they do in fact have the rights to use these images. And and that's when we see, see these cease and desist letters, unfortunately.
0: So, I, I cause I had just started my own new website and I was careful about licensing, but it, it makes me kind of think about what someone goes through when they're creating their website. What should, what should business owners be asking? Like, what is the question they should ask or where should they be looking for this information if it's not showing up in the contract that they have with the web designer or just like readily apparent in the documentation that they're seeing?
1: Right, so if it's, if it's not showing up, I mean, that's a bigger question. Typically, I would always encourage clients who are hiring these services to ensure that a few things are covered in that, in that contract. The first being that the provider is going to only provide images and content that is not infringing on anyone else's copyright. Mm. So having that representation and warranty that sort of assurance within that contract so that the client knows that this provider is is grabbing things for which they have rights and they're going to be using images and you know other you know copyrighted literary works that there's rights in that can be sort of passed on to this third party, this client. The second thing is that um, oftentimes people will hire marketing agencies who often have their own in-house photographer who may provide fresh content customized for the client, but there's no assignment of those rights to the client. So what I mean by Mm -hmm. that is that um, the person who owns copyright is the person who has created the image. So if you hire a company through a contract, as an independent contractor and they create a bunch of photos for you, so original works, they are the owner of that copyright unless it's expressly assigned to you. So okay, that is okay. important to note. Um, now, there's a distinction. If you have an employee who you hire as an employee who goes out and does all these photography, sort of, you know, gathers images, does the photog- photography for you as your in-house photographer, then you own a copyright because it's an employee employer relationship but in an independent contractor relationship which is the typical relationship you know business owners will find themselves in when they're contracting with agencies they need to ensure that the images the rights you know to their logo are assigned to them and i ran into a very interesting case of that actually with my husband who's a, a bankruptcy and insolvency lawyer and there was um, a file where this intellectual property was supposed to essentially get get transferred during these bankruptcy and insolvency proceedings. And the issue we ran into was that the entity, like the, the entity who thought they owned the intellectual property actually never had an assignment from the creative Ooh. agency. So the creative agency continued to own that IP. And so, you know, there were things that had to be done in the, in the back in terms of, you know, retroactive assignments and that's never perfect. Um, So, so those are definitely things to be aware of, you know, if you are contracting for someone and you're paying them to create your logo to design your website, that does not mean you technically own it, Um, you need an outright express assignment a written assignment from that provider if they're providing those services as a contractor.
0: Well, and I guess, too, then, if you're a business owner and you're selling your business, this is when I'm always sort of paying attention to it, is you you have to make sure that if you're selling your business and you're selling all the stuff in your business that there's a proper assignment of those things as well, that it's not just, you know, things like domain names and all of the photos that you're using and all of those aspects need to also be moved over and it can't just be implied, it needs to be expressed.
1: That's right and and of course, in those agreements as you would be aware of in these sort of transactions, there's always representations and warranties you know the the vendor has has good title in, in into the assets and the assets if they're you know copyright protected yeah. if they don't actually have good title into that they're in breach of those representations and warranties
0: Mm -hmm. and that's a bad thing so if anyone's listening if you're in (laughs) breach of a rep and a warranty it's not good it's not good we worry it means
1: damages it means money that you will have to pay which is never fun (laughs) what do you what are your
0: thoughts on um you know in terms of websites how usually you see that little line at the bottom that says you know copyright as of whatever date is that does that matter
1: um so depends which jurisdiction you're in. In, in, cop- in Canada, it does not matter. If you don't signify mm. that you've got copyright, it doesn't mean you don't have copyright. Um, one of the misconceptions or maybe the things that people don't know is that copyright arises upon creation mm. without the need to do anything further. So if I were sitting here right now and I was painting a Picasso, let's be honest, it's going to be a stick person because I'm not artistic in that area. But let's pretend I'm painting I'm painting, that painting, um, there's copyright arises in that painting as I create it without my need to do anything further. So then if you saw me creating this painting and you decided you were going to copy it and post it on your website, you would be infringing my copyright unless, you know, I had licensed the rights to you. So copyright arises upon creation. There, there is a federal um, registration system in place, though, because that helps establish the proof of the date upon which that copyright arose. Oh. So you'll hear these stories about people mailing themselves a manuscript so that it's a date stamped. Ah okay, <laughs> that's kind of the theory behind it because it establishes copyright as of that date mm-hmm. um and then of course in canada there's there's certain benefits if you register um, your copyright, and same with the u s um you you can avail to statutory damages, meaning it's easier to get money out of an infringer if you find right. a case of infringement right. so but registration is not necessary. copyright arises upon creation, okay. So, and then I guess one interesting sort of nuance with copyright is um, in Canada so, and many other jurisdictions, there's this concept of moral rights. So um, copyright is, is the right to publish, perform, reproduce, but there are these moral rights. They cannot be assigned. They can only be waived. And what moral rights are, they're the rights of the creator, the right of paternity. So for the artist to be, um, you know, to have their name associated with that piece of art or dramatic piece, musical piece, literary piece. Then there's also the right of integrity. So if I created a a sculpture, I would have the right to prohibit someone from adding on to it because that sort of removes the integrity of my work. And then there's the right of association as well. So um, this one comes up from time to time where an artist um, sells their work whether it's a painting or a sculpture, whatever it is. And then the purchaser then uses it in a campaign that is completely misaligned with their, their values. Um, with moral rights, that artist would have the right to say, no, I don't want to be associated with your movement. My my painting is not associated with that, or my work is not associated with that. With respect to the integrity, there was a famous case at the Eaton Centre in Toronto where artist Michael Snow, there were these, I don't know if you remember, they were sculptures of um, geese flying overhead. Yes, in the
0: e- yes, I yes. do remember the geese. <laughs> I have photos in front of the geese. Okay.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, most people who went to that, I think it was the Eaton Centre, went to that mall, yeah. saw the geese. It was really an interesting piece of art. Mm. And the Eaton Centre, right around Christmas one year, thought, hey, we have a clever idea. Why don't we put little red scarves around their necks? Because that would be fun, and it's Christmas and holidays, and and hooray for that. Mm. And, you know, everyone on on the board, I'm sure, was like, fantastic idea. Right. Well, Mr. Snow did not think so. Mm. Um He he actually successfully um, claimed against the center um, because he said his moral rights were essentially infringed his right to integrity because he said his sculpture was the integrity was compromised when these red scarves were put on it because in his contract with the center, he had never waived his moral rights. He preserved Mm. them. So, so that's another thing that sometimes people um, forget, they'll, they'll get the license to the work, or they'll get a complete assignment, but they don't get those moral rights waived. And then, you know, the, the, the work is used in a way that um, the artist is not on board with, and then they come knocking. <laughs> so
0: yeah, they were geese, not festive geese. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I mean, different, differing opinions on that, um, but that, that's the most probably famous case in Canada in terms of. Uh, moral rights and integrity with respect to the same. So,
0: Very interesting. Okay. This was, this was very helpful. I wonder if we should move to trademarks. So maybe if you're able to explain, you know, what is a trademark? Let's start there.
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, in the very simplest terms, trademarks are indicators of source. So they serve as source identifiers. And what I mean by that is that, um, When you see, let's use some very known brand names, for example, when you see that Nike swoosh, you know what type of product is associated with that. You know that, you know, it's athletic wear, you know that it's of a certain quality. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, if you saw some random brand for a pair of, you know, running shoes and you were in the store trying to buy running shoes, you might not gravitate towards that because you don't really understand that brand. You don't know it. You don't know the source of it. So um, trademarks are basically, they're they're part of the bigger brand picture, but they're indicators of source to tell a consumer, to point to consumer, you know, where is that product coming from? And um, trademarks are actually my favorite type of intellectual property because they can last in perpetuity as long as they're continued In, like, as long as use is continued and as long as the renewal is done, um, if they're registered federally. So, unlike patents and unlike copyright, which have you know definite terms, trademarks, if used regularly, they will last in perpetuity. So, they're actually one of the only assets in business that maybe gains value in time instead of depreciates. not the only asset, but it's, it's an asset that definitely appreciates in value over time, provided that the use is done properly. Of course, if you know, you're using your brand in relation to something salty and scandalous, probably going to <laughs> diminish the value of that brand. So trademarks are indicators of source. Um, and I think the confusion sometimes is that business names or, or corporate names can also be trademarks, but not always only if they're used used as indicators of source. So I always use um, my my setup as an example so clients can understand it. So I operate my law firm under Luann Schlosser Legal Prof Corp. But in Saskatchewan and many other jurisdictions, if you are operating a business under a name other than your own, you need to register that name. So I have registered Lunova Law as a business name My corporation, so my legal professional corporation, owns that business name. That business name is registered in Saskatchewan. But I maybe have big plans, maybe I want to expand, who knows. I wanted the rights across Canada. So my business name, the the reservation in Saskatchewan is, is limited to Saskatchewan. If I want rights across Canada, if I want the monopoly to use Lenovo Law, in relation to legal services across Canada, I need a federal trademark. Um, and of course, trademark. So when you're using, when I'm using the, the name Lunova Law and Commerce, I'm gaining common law rights. So I, I do gain trademark rights, but they're common law rights. Um, but that federal sort of high-end protection, that happens when you register a federal trademark. And so, of course, being a trademark lawyer, I registered Lenovo law it's officially registered and so I now have that trademark and no one else in Canada can provide legal services under that name or a name that's similar to it now
0: I put in a registration for the tax chick back in September 2020 and I'm still waiting
1: yes yes and- <laughs>
0: And I'm like, I'm glad I did it because I mean, at the time, I didn't really know whether it was uh-huh. going to be worth it. And it's it's kind of an interesting process. And, and maybe you can talk a bit about that. But I was when I worked with a trademark agent. Like, not not everyone can just go register a trademark. Like, you you need you need to, well, to work with someone, don't you? Yeah. Because, well,
1: you don't need to. You certainly can register one on your own, but um, there are some technicalities that. People will miss and their their silly right. technicalities, and because of the long wait from application to eventual registration, working with an agent can certainly smooth things over. Um, agents can also do um, like a pre vetting search. So when I talk about these these vetting searches, um, they can do a determination as to whether or not there's something similar or the same out there that's mm. going to prevent you from getting that that trademark, and. That is important, not only because the wait time is quite long, but um, there's sometimes a misconception from business, amongst business owners that think, okay, I've registered the business name in Saskatchewan, so I own that name. And I've had this happen on a number of occasions where, you know, business owner registers their name. They say, I see someone in Ontario using pretty much the same name for the same product. I want you to send them a cease and desist letter. And I said, on what basis? Mm -hmm. Well, they're using my name. And I go, they also have their name reserved in Ontario, it appears. Mm -hmm. Well, how can that be? Well, because each province and territory has their own sort of naming rules with respect to business names and, and corporate names. And in the past, there was very little coordination between the provinces and territories. It's a bit better now, because they'll They'll pull more thorough searches. And of course, technology helps us identify these potential confusing um, business names across Canada. But you know, really, you're registering in Canada, doesn't or sorry, in Saskatchewan. It doesn't matter what's going on in Ontario for the purposes of our business registry. They're typically looking at what's happening in Saskatchewan. And so um, it, it's been the case, going back to my example about the entity in Ontario, it's been the case where my client sees this entity in Ontario also setting up an Instagram and my mm. client is frustrated because they are also wanting to franchise their business in the future across okay. Canada. Okay. And then 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 it got even <laughs> more interesting because in this particular case the entity of East actually went ahead and applied for a trademark.
0: Okay. And so the trademark is going to trump, right? Like if we Absolutely. And will it, will it actually prevent then your client in Saskatchewan from using the name in Saskatchewan?
1: It could. It could. Oh, boy. So um, it, it could, unless the client was going to take some sort of um, action against that application. So in Canada, um, we are a first to use jurisdiction, meaning the first person to use the brand in commerce is the one who has the rights. The prior user has the prior rights. Okay. However, in the trademark system, like in the registry, they assess applications based on the date filed. And before some amendments came into effect in 2019, you would actually have to state the date of first use. They've removed that. We don't know why, but they have. Mm. So now it's very hard to determine when you look at the registry, if someone applies for something, it's hard to determine, well, since when were they using that? Are they in fact the prior user? It's hard. So you have to do some research. And in this case, um, it it boiled down to who was the prior user of the trademark. Was it my client? Was it the other client? but that requires monitoring of this trademark database. And what business owner is spending their days monitoring a trademark database? I mean, maybe some, maybe some, but you know, few. And so if you are not monitoring the trademark database, if you don't have a trademark, if an entity gets the trademark, and then there's, there's sort of a grace period after once it's registered, if you don't know about it, you don't try to oppose it, you don't, if you don't do that and they get that trademark, eventually they could turn around and say, we own federal trademark. You stop using that, notwithstanding the fact that the client's been using it for years and that could result in the client, you know, you're losing the goodwill, the name of your business. People all of a sudden, you know, what happened to such and such business? It's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to rebrand. Why? Um, you have to change mm-hmm. your storefront. You have to change your like marketing materials. It just snowballs from there. Um, so that's, you know, kind of a worst case scenario. Um Other issues, you know, we're seeing is that, you know, a lot of online businesses, you know, online business, there's, there are no borders. Mm. So you want to ship things out to Ontario, you want to ship things out to BC. Oh, wait a minute, your, your product, your line of clothing is the same as that clothing entity out in BC. And then you get a cease and desist letter. So, um, just in terms of, of, you know, these borders coming down with online commerce, um, having a registered trademark is definitely a benefit. Um, Also online, for example, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, if you have people squatting, trying to mimic you online, if you have a registered trademark, you typically have better recourse against these entities. Mm.
0: So when we think about a trademark, I mean, we often think about it as a logo, but it can be a logo, it can be a name, it, it can be... We can we do sounds in Canada or is that just in the U.S. Yes,
1: yes we can do sounds we can do colors we can do scents really anything used as an indicator of source can be a trademark so the MGM lion big really? roar that is trademarked um, the the Dolby surround sound that you hear in theaters mm. before movies that that sort of ping is is trademarked because it's an indicator of source. When you hear that, you know, oh, it's Dolby Surround providing sound services. Okay. So anything, anything that can be an indicator of source, of course, these, I would call them non-traditional trademarks. They're a lot harder to get because um, there's an argument maybe that they're not distinctive. So um, your best bet for trademark protection is, is the word mark. So the name of your business. So if you're operating as, you know, Amanda Doucette, legal professional corporation, that's not how you're branding your blog. Right,
0: right.
1: <laughs> that's not how your, you know, that's not how your website is branded. You're the tax chick. So mm-hmm. that is, that is your, that's part of your overall branding. That's, that's your indicator of source. That's your trademark.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Right? So if you were to kind of give, I'm thinking like to kind of wrap this up in a bow for a business owner. If a business mm-hmm. owner listening to this and thinking, oh boy, do I need to get a trademark? What would be sort of three reasons why or four reasons why somebody might want to start thinking down that route?
1: Sure. So, I mean, I'm probably an interesting person to talk to before a business incorporates, before a business launches a product. I want them to do a trademark vetting search before mm. they register a business name of course that doesn't always happen. Entrepreneurs are, you know, wanting to get things running first and then invest their dollars in these protections. But doing the searches first, vetting your brand, knowing where you stand sort of from a national scope ensures that you can expand in the future to whatever jurisdiction you want. You can franchise your opportunities are a little broader if you have that trademark and you know you can use that brand across Canada. So my my opinion always is Business owners, if they're launching a product, a service, they should think about that before launching, Right. make sure it's available, vet it, make sure it's scalable. So a lot of companies now want to operate in the U.S., in the EU, is your brand scalable? Because I've had clients who spend tons of money on their brand in in Canada and the U.S., but they can't export to Europe because there's a pre-existing brand there and they can infringe it.
0: Oh, that's true. So I guess if you're someone that's thinking, I want to expand this, I want to make this bigger eventually at some point, which most business owners do. I don't think anybody really starts a business saying, I want to keep this really small and tiny and not make a lot of money from it. So if you're ever thinking of expanding, why not do that exploration early on?
1: Right. And, and it's hard because when people are starting business, typically there's so many unknown variables. They don't know where it's going to go. They don't know how how big it's going to be or how small it's going to be. So to get them to start thinking of bigger picture um, is sometimes difficult at the beginning because you know who knows if I'm going to expand, but some business owners know like, we want these markets, we want these products, we want to do this. Um, and at that point, it's important to ensure that you're going to be able to expand with your trademark or your brand in those markets. It's also important to ensure that your brand translates properly in those markets, um, different cultures. <laughs> right. Sometimes there's a there's a language gap. Um, so I think trademark or business owners should think about a trademark at the start. Often that's not the case. So if they've not thought about that yet, um, they should definitely think about it once business is sort of moving along by using their brand or their business name. They've already established those common law rights. And if they haven't had too many problems up until that point, chances are their trademark from a federal perspective should be available, but not always. Right. Um, so they should consider it earlier on because the more time you dump into your branding, your image, your name, th- that's an investment. And if all of a sudden you're told that your investment is gone because you have to change, that's a hard pill to swallow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and you know, you've know you spent you've spent that time establishing yourself within the public on social media, however it may be. When you have to rebrand, you do lose that customer traction. And so business owners should be thinking about it, You know, especially as they're scaling up, if they're going to be expanding across Canada, absolutely. If they're going to be exporting products, absolutely. And they need to coordinate with um, a trademark agent who can do that coordination between jurisdictions.
0: Excellent advice. Excellent advice. This was very helpful. I mean, I always learn something from these podcast episodes, but this one was, was particularly helpful to me. I feel like I keep running into this with clients and it's always hard to know when to send somebody to get the help. Right. So this is helpful.
1: Yes. And, and I mean, there's always the best time at the beginning. Most often it doesn't happen, but to know that that's that is a fundamental piece of sort of growing your, your brand, your image, your business. Um, I think that's a, a good thing to keep in a back pocket when advising clients.
0: Perfect. Well, and, and maybe just before we end, if you can let listeners know, where can they find you on the interweb?
1: <laughs> on the interweb? Yes, I live on the interweb. So um, <laughs> they can find me at www.lunova, that's www.lunova.ca. So it's Lenovo Law, and uh, most of our clients are actually across Canada. We're a virtual firm. I do have a brick-and-mortar space when I do have to have in-person meetings, but I, I do sort of live online. So See,
0: I said you were on the interweb. And, yes. and you have just sort of started some social media pages as well. So what is your Instagram handle?
1: Um, so it's just Lunova Law. Um, and then on Facebook as well. And then I have articles on LinkedIn. Um, You can stay tuned for blog posts that will be updated on my website. Um, They will tie into another creative endeavor that I am planning to launch later this year. It's about branding and wine because those are my two favorite things in the world. (laughs) So if you're a lover of any of those things or you just have an interest, stay tuned for that. And um, you can follow some interesting articles about wine and branding and travel, so.
0: That sounds awesome. And I will put all this information in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um glad you. to have Thank you, you for having in my me. Circle.
1: <laughs> yes. Thanks for having me, Amanda. It's great. And um, uh, it's been a wonderful speaking with you and um, certainly clients can follow up uh, with you or you can send them my way if they have any further questions.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have an idea for a future episode or a burning question you would like to see discussed, please send me an email at thetaxchickpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, then please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and click subscribe to be notified when new episodes are posted. Please note that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode belong solely to the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the speaker's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. In addition, the information provided and discussed in this podcast is not legal advice. We encourage you to consult with your legal advisor for specific advice.